0: Today I want to speak about this week's Torah portion which is Vayishlach and I'm going to be speaking about something that will help you overcome some of the challenges of life and one of them is the word dignity. Now you might not believe this but this is really an important word because it can help you in almost all of the challenges of life. I want to give you an example of a rabbi who is called Rav Grossman i don't know if you've heard of him very very holy rabbi he lives in the north of israel he's called the disco rabbi okay now you're listening his name is called the disco rabbi long beard hasidic originally from Sha'rim in 67 after the yom kippur war he saw so many miracles he says okay i'm i got to make a difference to the world he goes all the way to the north of israel a place where all the criminals are living in Israel back then in 67. And he says, I am going to make a difference. I'm going to do something. I've got to give. And he opens his home, starts looking for Jews, and he's like, there's no Jews anywhere. They said there's no Jews. I mean, there's no one serious about Judaism here. So they said there's only, the Jews are in the discos. That's where they are. So he goes into the disco and there's videos of him literally like this with his beards and his whole thing. And he's dancing with them all, and he's bringing them into Judaism. Amazing man. Um, Sometimes we are able to take our group when we do an Israel trip to see him. He has today, he started off going up to this north place. Listen to this. With 10, slowly, he started picking up, he realized that these kids, young kids, not long after the Holocaust, 67, from 45 to 67, not that long after, young kids that are orphans, people that don't have a family and he started to bring them into his tiny home. He had a tiny small home and he started to bring them in and eventually his small little house started to have more and more people and he just let them stay in his home. He fostered them to a point where the government started helping him. He started with like 16 kids in his own house eventually and then he moved to like a little, he had a little center and From there, it went to beyond today. He has acres, I think it's like 250 acres of land, 6,000 orphans under his name. That's how far this man has gone. He's recognized by he's internationally known as one of the most amazing people in terms of um, selfless acts that have been done. He's won many, many awards internationally. And he's a Hasidic rabbi who started off uh, with something small, and eventually came so big, six thousand orphans. do you know what that means? He goes through they say they they say he goes through about seventy weddings a year between all of the kids that he has. These are all his kids under his name, seventy weddings a year. We went to his um his center he makes fifteen thousand meals. You could search him on on Google for sure he's on everywhere. His name is Rabbi. Yitzhak David Grossman. Just search Rabbi Grossman, and he'll come up. It's it's totally worth after this to spend some time. He should be on a TED talk. I bet he will be at some point. It's it's amazing. Omri, you've heard of him? No, I was just writing it out for Dan. So oh, thank you. So thank you. I appreciate it. So he. So he didn't, he, he went, he still says, I'm not doing enough. That's the fascinating, thing. I'm not doing enough. He went beyond that and started a program in in prisons, going to all the prisons in Israel, starting a program where they learned Pekhe which is like Jewish ethics. A rabbi goes into all the pr- prisons around Israel, started with it where he was. And eventually this took over in every prison in, um, in Israel. And it has a tremendous, it has like 80% success rate of people that take this program in the prison of not returning to the prison again afterwards. It's like, it's, he, he just doesn't stop. So one of the stories about him, he's, he's a man of love. If you meet him and he, you talk to him, he'll just kiss you. He's just like, I mean, now it's Corona, so I don't know how he deals with that. But he's just like one of these people, he's very tall. And as soon as he sees you, he just loves everybody. He loves everyone. And um, one time he was in the hosp- He was in the prison, and he was talking. Right when he started, he was in the prison. He was talking to a group, and these were criminals, some of the highest, biggest criminals in Israel, doing terrible things. And he's teaching them. And at some point, one of them had a good question or was asking something. He came. He went right. He said, "Oh." He runs up to him. He's a very loving guy. Runs up to him, gives him a massive hug and a kiss. Just couldn't, he couldn't hold it back. You've got this criminal and this rabbi, who runs up to him, and gives him a huge kiss. A few days later, this rabbi got a message and the message said, I just want you to know, rabbi, that that was the first time somebody ever kissed me in my life. He got a private letter and that was, on that letter was something on the lines of, that was the first time somebody ever kissed me in my life. Now, he means that someone cared and loves and thinks about me. That's what he really meant. And that's what I want to speak about because in this week's Torah portion, something fascinating here, something mind-blowing. We're talking about Jacob and Esav, right? You know you know those guys? So Jacob and Esav, they were the sons of... Uh, isaac and one esav was very wicked and jacob was a righteous kid and esav was trying to kill jacob because he took rightfully the blessings which he earned and he got the blessings and as soon as he got them esav was jealous esav bad kid says i'm gonna kill jacob so jacob runs away from his family runs flees his family do you know how long he was away from his family does anyone know how long was jacob away from his family oh like 20 years because there was a 20 year gap until he saw Esau. between when he left his home right so it was 20 years when he was working he worked all together for his uncle lavan got married had kids a lot of kids 11 kids right? So Jacob left his brother, ran away. But altogether, it was 36 years that he was away from his brother, Esav. 36 years he left his family. Can you imagine a young man? Well, not not too young, but leaving your family for 36 years, no iPhone, no WhatsApp, no calls, no video call, nothing. 36 years. 20 of those years, He went to work for his uncle called Lavan, who was a trickster. He was called Lavan Ha'arami, came from a place called Arami. But he was also, the word Arami comes from the word to trick. And he was a trickster. He said, I'll give you my daughter if you work for me. And Jacob agreed. He worked for seven years. And then Lavan gives him the wrong daughter. He gives him Leah instead of Rachel, our foremother, our matriarch. So Jacob agrees to work for another seven years, gets the second to his original wife that he was meant to marry. And um, eventually he's there for 20 years. He's working for this guy, Lavan, an absolute trickster. Before that, on his way out, he goes and spends 14 years studying Torah by the house of Shem and Evel. So here we have somebody for 36 years. He's away from his escaping a fugitive running away from his brother who's trying to kill him, who was a very powerful man, trying to kill him. So he runs away. Finally, he's on his way back. And what does he do? He's on his way back to meeting his brother. This is the, this is the line here. So Jacob's on his way back to the land. He's built a family. God tells him to go back to the land. He's on his way back. And he hears that asaph his brother, is on the way to meet him. And he gets nervous. So he sends messengers He sends some of his messengers to Esav, his brother. And he tells them to say these words. Listen to this language. He says to them, listen. He says to the messengers that are going to meet Esav. He says to them, you go ahead, meet him. And this is what you should say to my master, to Esav. Meaning they should go up to Esav and say, you are the master. This is what your servant Jacob wants to say. Jacob uses the language of servant and master. He says, I am your servant, Esav. Esav's trying to kill you for 36 years. And what's the language he uses? The language of softness, of respect. He says, you are my master. I am your servant. And he says, I have many... I've become very wealthy. And then he sends, we're told that he sends three sets, three messengers, three groups of messengers. And each group of messengers are sending a massive amount of gifts for Asaf In three different sections, he sends gifts to Asaf, so he should calm down, not get angry with him. So first of all, he uses a very soft language. He says, you are my master. You, I am your slave. What's going on here? I'll tell you what's going on here. This is one of the most powerful lessons of life. That no matter what your situation is, even if you're right in a situation, even if you're the right person in the situation, it's always going to be better off to have a positive language to the person that's in front of you. Even if you're right and they're wrong. Let me give you an example. I'm on the road driving and I get to a junction stop sign. It's my turn to now go on the stop sign. But the person to the right of me as I'm st- as I start going it's my turn. The person to the right of me goes ahead. At the stop sign he what excuse me, I was way before you. And I'm starting to go through the stop sign all of a sudden this idiot is going right in front of me excuse me i was the one that was meant to go through that stop sign you went first what's the right thing to do i'll tell you what some people do some people get angry and they continue driving do you know what happens if you continue driving and they continue driving you'll get a collision or even worse it could be a dangerous person who'll come out the car and something crazy can happen or there's some people that just stop their car and let the other person go through. Fine, I'll be five seconds a bit later because that person's a jerk. That person's an idiot. Fine, I'll be a few minutes later because of him. But at the end of the day, even if I'm right, I don't want to be sorry. Yes, I am right because I need to go through the stop sign because it's my turn, but it doesn't matter whether I'm right or wrong. At the end of the day, I need to be safe. And I want to live. I don't want to crush my car. So being right sometimes means that you've got to fold. It doesn't necessarily mean that I have to win. I have to fold. That's what that's what's happening here. Look at this. This is the this is a very interesting Talmud. Okay. This is all parables. But listen to this Talmud. It's a, it's a in Hilchot Derech Eretz in the Mishnah of Derech Eretz of. Conduct of what the way to be it says, like this a person should always be flexible or at least soft, like a stalk. Do you know a stalk that's in the ground? It's right, it grows and it's soft. Why is it soft? But don't be hard, like a cedar tree. A cedar tree has a huge, it's a huge tree and it's solid. Why a stalk. A stalk is something that it can face all winds from all directions and it always moves with the wind. Okay, this is a parable, but there's a powerful message here. What does the what does the stalk do? It moves with the wind. If the wind stops, the stalk goes back to its shape that it originally was and stands up again. Interesting. Do you know what the end is? result of this stalk is? It's one of the things that we use to write in the Torah. It's one of the feathers that we use to write in the Torah. That's what it says. What's the end result of this stalk that moves around in the wind and is flexible? That's what we use as a pen to write in the Torah. That's what can be used as a pen to write in the Torah. However, a cedar cedar tree, that's not so. What does a cedar tree tree do? It stands tall and is stubborn. It's proud. When a northern wind comes, it doesn't doesn't move to the wind. A southern wind comes, doesn't move. East, west, doesn't move. However, if there's going to be a tremendous hurricane, the wind will come and uproot the tree completely from its roots. And what happens? The tree is upside down on its roots. What happens to this tree? Nothing. What do they do with this tree? Everyone comes, they cut it, and they use it for fire, they use it to heat homes, uh, all different things. Everyone uses it to burn things, not necessarily good things. And that's why our rabbis say, always be soft like a stalk and don't be harsh like a cedar wood this is a parable and the message here is be flexible it, it doesn't matter if you have good reasons to say I'm right and I won't forgive that person or I'm right and that person's wrong so therefore I should say whatever I deserve to say no 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 call him let him just just let him be just let him be. Actually, by the way, the best revenge, our rabbis say, the best revenge to someone that's bad to you, what do you do? Someone who's really rude to you. What's the best revenge that you can give them? Do you know what it is? <laughs> it's amazing. It's, it, the Talmud says the best revenge that you could do so, to someone is succeed. Why? You will become a great person, and I don't mean just successful monetarily, but you become a respectful person, you succeed, you become a great person. And then what happens? Do you know what happens after he's embarrassed that he, that he was the one that hurt your feelings in the past. He's like, oh my goodness, look, look what he became. He came so successful and everyone's respecting him. And that's the person that I hurt. It's the best revenge. Don't say a word. Internalize the energy internalize the energy, come the best, say to yourself, I'm going to come the best person that I can be. Boom. That person's destroyed. What are they going to do? It's the biggest embarrassment for them. Do you know why? Because now you're successful. So that whole dream that they had of making you fall has gone against their way. Now they look up to you. That's one of the best ways to give revenge. That's called what we call actually a a form of bribery that's good. There's bribery that's not good. When's bribery not good? When you're paying off the cops. Okay. (laughs) When you're paying off the cops. It's true. It's brought down that one of the mitzvot in Judaism is, this is one of the commandments of Judaism, is to not take bribery and this is in regards to the courts in the courts a judge must not take bribery because if he's sitting in front of somebody this is the this is the language of the torah okay lotate mishpat don't twist the case of the court case lotakir panim don't show favor to one over the other lotikach don't take bribery ki because bribery blinds the eyes of the wise and removes the words of the righteous. I mean, it doesn't let you say the right things because you have more of a favor to one person over the other because you took their bribery. You have to understand according to in in a Jewish court, a judge, in a Jewish judge, we don't really have uh, very limited, we don't really have Jewish courts today in terms of um, monetary and, and beyond. But there, there are courts for certain things. So in a Jewish court, to the Diane, the judge who walks in, he has to be a very big rabbi, who walks into the court. Um, if he gets in any way, if he knows the, one of the people that are in the case, he has to walk out. He can't be the judge. He has to tell somebody else, maybe you do it because he's, you know, he's slightly biased. There's a story of one rabbi who was called into a big court case. And one of the people opened the door for him as he's walking into the courtroom. One of the people that was there opened the door for him. And then he finds out that that's one of the people that's being judged in the case. That's one of the people in the case. He says, I'm sorry. He did me a favor. Open the door for me. I can't be a judge for this case. You have to get somebody else. Interesting. So I want to tell you that there's actually a good side for Shochat. In Hebrew, Rashi says, listen to him, what's the reason that bribery is so bad? Why can't you do that? If the guy is good, why can't you take bribery in a court case? Why can't the judge take bribery? And the answer is simply, like we said, because your mindset is close, you're you're, you're closer to that person because that person now gave you something. He's now part of you. And then, Now that he's part of you, you don't see a problem in yourself. Like you're biased to yourself, you're biased to that person who did something to you because he's come part of you. And you can't judge yourself. You can't be objective. You can't be, uh, sorry, subjective. You need to be objective as a judge. And that's why the word for bribery in Hebrew is shochad. What's shochad? Shehu echad. He comes one. Through the bri- bribery, you come one with that person that bribes you. So, in 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 life, bribery can be good in a place where someone's doing something wrong and you want to appease them, you want to stay or maintain. You want to be that light person, that easygoing person. You want to be that person that says, "I'm going to fold." One of the ways you fold is. By bribing your way in. How do you do that? By speaking nicely. Some idiot next you know, few doors away from your house is uh, really rude to you, is telling you off all the time, whatever it is. I don't know, right? So one of the ways of dealing with them is to react in a, in a way where you start cursing them out or whatever. The best way to deal with them is actually to soften your tone. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense, but that's what the message is here. Obviously, I don't say that you should be an ignoramus and allow them to take advantage of you. It's definitely not the case. But outside of anyone taking advantage of you, they're not taking advantage, they're just being rude. It's such a way, you have the upper hand over them by not fighting back or not responding. Somebody writes a stupid comment on your post or whatever. The best response is to not call him out necessarily, maybe directly, personally message him, but in a respectful manner, because then you have the upper hand. That guy is being disrespectful. You are responding in a way which is respectful. Who started it? him? And I'm being respectful. That means I have the upper hand in this situation, and that's what you want to have all the time. So talking kindly is a form of bribery. It's a a form of shokhad. And that's what Jacob did. He sent him gifts to Asaph. He tried to bribe him in to forgiving him, to not killing him. This is his murderer. His 36 years he's been running away from this guy, trying to kill him. And what do you do? You speak in a soft tone. That takes a lot of strength to do that. But there's another idea here as well behind this, and that's called self-respect. Now, according to Judaism whether it's your kids, your spouse, if you destroy somebody's dignity, you have lost them. It's simple as that. Whether it's you're waiting in, I don't know, the DMV. By the way, whenever I give examples, these are things that we go through. So whether you're waiting in the DMV, right, I'm busy working out with the DMV. It's impossible to, you can't make a, an appointment now only under certain circumstances. And uh, if you do make an appointment, uh it, well, but for some things you can't and you have to go in line and it's hours of waiting around the whole building. So, you know, if you are at the DMV waiting in line and you want to find out, you just want to ask a question from the guy at the front. But he's, so, he's like, go to the back and there's nothing to talk to. He's just so rude. So what do you do? How do you respond to that? And one of the ways is to give him some sense of dignity. You know, Say something that makes him feel special. It's really kind of you. It's, it's amazing what you do. It, all, you've been spending so much time and, and you, it's just so special. How do you do it? Just open his heart in terms of making him feel special so that he will actually help you. One of the ways, if you lose your child's dignity or your spouse's dignity, you're done one of the words for dignity in hebrew the word for dignity or honor in hebrew is kavod okay that's a person's ego or honor or dignity it says in, in psalms leman yasmercha kavod velo hashem elohai modeka." says that my kavod is going to sing your song hashem It's going to always thank you. My kavod is going to sing for you. It's going to not sleep. It's always going to thank you. My dignity is going to sing for you. What does that mean? My dignity is my soul. That's a big part of my neshama, my soul. There's the body, right? You can hurt my body, boom, right? That's physical. The way you hurt my inside, my my essence, is when you hurt my dignity, when you hurt my kavod, when you make me feel like dirt. Right, One of the things that they did in the Holocaust, 40,000 camps they created. One of the things that they did was destroy the humanity of the people. Anyone that came there, they took their clothes off, they shaved their hair, they took away their identity. It was all about removing their dignity. Part of it was to help the Nazis not feel bad for what they're doing. It was to justify, look, these are not human. But one of the other reasons behind it is to remove the dignity of the people. It was part of the torture. When you remove somebody's dignity, you're done. There's there's no one to talk to. The only way to connect to somebody, no matter who it is, is if you, whatever situation you're in, is if you remain recognizing that they have a certain amount of self-dignity. Everyone needs that. So why is the soul called your dignity? Why is that connected to your dignity? So what we know is that we have a body and we have a soul. Okay, so I know that this is another whole discussion whether you want to dispute this or not. It's another discussion, but this is Jewish tradition. We have a body and a soul, right? My arm is not me. It's just something I move. It's not me. Take this away. It's something that I have, but it's not me. The shirt is a cover for the arm as much as my arm is a cover for me. It's not me. Take away somebody's arm, that's not them. Same is with the rest of our body. That's how we understand it. And our body is, part of it is a soul. Now, what we say according to Kabbalah, according to Jewish Kabbalah, it's man When God blew, it says, he, there, was a, there was a body created from earth, which is what we come from. We're all from earth. There was just blood and, and, and flesh. And then, Then he got through his nostrils a life force, a living soul. It's like when you have somebody who's like physically dead and then you have to electrify him and put him, bring him back to life. So that's basically, according to Jewish tradition, how mankind started. And it says that God blew into him, Blew into him his soul. So what does that mean? Obviously, there's no physical, God doesn't blow and right, he's not a body. He's not like a dude hanging there waiting to pounce on you and he's like, Yo, right? That's not how God works. God is a not a body or a figure of a body. According to Judaism, Hashem is infinite. It's infinite. It's not a being that's you know, specifically like us, like me and you. If something's behind all of this creation, the entire universe, your heartbeat, your your hands, your arms, your everything, right? You started as a speck that was so small, a hundred times smaller, right? The zygote is a hundred times smaller than a speck on a paper. You, you take a pen, put that dot on a paper, divide that by a hundred. That's the size that you were when you started. You get that, right? Take a pen, put it on a paper, make a dot. This is what biologists told me you started about a, a, around a hundred times smaller than that dot. That's a thought. So you came from this little being and you, you, you have this, what we call a soul in you. Now, according to Judaism, the, according to Kabbalah, it says the one that blew into you blew from himself. Man den afach, It doesn't mean that he literally blew into us. It's, a parable. But the way that life is within us is man den that the breath that you have, the air, the, the life force that you have, comes from him. It's part of him. It's like when you blow up a balloon, right? <sighs> right? The balloon's blown up. That air that's inside the balloon, where's that coming from? You. It's part of you, so to speak. That's the greatest parable, how we can understand what a human being is is that he's got a life force that comes from God and that needs a lot of respect. That's your inner self, your inner dignity. You respect yourself, you need to dress nicely. You know, A human being has unique self-respect that he needs. It bothers you, you know, when you walk out on the street and your shirt's dirty. It bothers you. It's like, oh, for me, it happens a lot. You know, I have five kids, so I have a lot of shirts that get dirty. Hey, daddy, how's it going? He's got cheese all over his mouth. <laughs> right? Thank God I have a white shirt. But when it's not, when it's chocolate or something, hey, what's up? And we're like, yeah, oh, chocolate everywhere. Let's change that shirt. So that's what it means that, uh, going back to my point, that's what it means that God blew into the balloon air from himself, right? He blew, blew into us from himself. We have a part of Hashem in us, This is a fundamental belief that you need to have. I am not just a randomness that's going to live in this world for 70 years and has no significance more than some random bacteria and and cells that just exist on a shelf. I am a lot more significant than a tuna tin that's on a shelf. I'm a human being with a body. Yes, that part is just physical. But really... Inside of me, I have something that's very powerful. And the reason, the proof, the greatest proof is the fact that I hold myself to having certain dignity. Where does that come from? The answer, according to Jewish tradition, is it comes from God. Because you are a part of that. Deep down, you are much more than just physicality. And one of the most embarrassing, it says in the Talmud, somebody who embarrasses you, takes away your dignity, it's as if they killed you. Because it says that the, the, the blood is drawn from a person's face. He goes white. He's whitened. And it's, it's almost a form of killing a person. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not like you killed him literally. But it's a nuance. It's a spiritual killing. Because you've embarrassed them. You've taken out that. It's not, not literally killing them. But you've embarrassed them. That's you've killed their soul. That's why it also says that somebody is, is that embarrasses his friend. He loses a portion in the world to come. Doesn't mean he loses everything, but he loses a certain spirituality in him. Why? Because when you diminish somebody else's soul, you also diminish your soul. You've diminished their soul by embarrassing them. Embarrassing somebody is is. Extremely, extremely intense, and one of the things that we need to do is give kavod. There's a story in the Talmud of Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, the one that wrote the Mishnah and the Talmud, the Mishnah of the Talmud. He, one of the greatest Nasi, the head, right, one of the greatest rabbis of the Talmud. So he uh, heard that the grandchild of Rab Shimon Ba Yochai, Rab Shimon Yochai is the one that wrote the Zohar, all of Kabbalah. The Talmud talks about this in Baba Metzia, the middle gate, one of the Talmuds, page Pei pe- Aleph, I think, 81, I just looked it up. So he, this amazing story, Rabbi Yehuda HaNasi, the head of the rabbinical leader of the Jewish people during the times of the Talmud, he hears that the grandchild of the one that wrote the Zohar, Rab Shimon Ba is grandchild, the son of Rabbi Yeza, Rabbi Shimon Yechai had one son called Rabbi Liezer, and he had another son. That son was extremely, extremely good-looking, and his father, Rabbi Liezer, died at a young age. Also a great, great scholar. We're talking about something beyond comprehension. Very special people. So they're like, like you know, like from these movies where you have these like supernatural you know, Smallville style. This is what these rabbis, literally in physical, in real time, that's what they were. They had beyond powers. Was. So there's another time for different discussion of how, what powers they had and what they were able to achieve. So Rabbi Yehuda Nasi hears about this child that extremely good-looking, grandchild of Rabbi Shimon ba Yochai. He lost his father at a young age. He's an orphan, and he hears that he's running in the streets. The Talmud said he was so attractive, right? This happens, but he was so attractive that what a man would pay for a harlot, right? People would pay for him four times the money because of his good looks. He was drawn into, he was extremely good looking, young kid, lost his his father at a young age and he didn't have the right upbringing and went off to the streets. And he was going from one place to the next, (coughs) Rabbi Uda Nasi, the great leading rabbi, says it can't be. The grandson of the holiest rabbi that wrote the Zohar went out to Tarbut to do such bad things. He said, I've got to bring him back in. So what does Rabbi Uda Nasi do? Interesting thing. He decides, he's a young kid, he decides to make him, he says, come, 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 you work with me. He put on him a special clothing of... That time, which means a person of special position, and he gave him one of his jackets. He says, "You work with me." He gave him one of his jackets, the special clothing of a of a leading prominent leader. He gave him his jacket. He put a nice, beautiful gold chain, made him feel special. And he said, "You come with me." And he started teaching him. After a certain amount of time, he wanted to. He wanted to go out again. He said, listen, I've got to go out again. Too much desires. Forget this stuff. I'm going out again. He says, no, 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 stay. This time I'll put you in a special position. And he keeps dressing him and pushing him to a better position until he becomes a very great Rabbi Rabbi Yossi, one one of the greatest scholars in the Talmud also. He saved the kid from doing terrible things Massing around to becoming a one of the rabbis as well. How? By giving him respect. It says, don't rebuke a mocker and he'll hate you. Rebuke or she'll hate you. Rebuke a wise person and they'll love you. What does that mean? You see a child doing something wrong. This is so important for life as well. You see a ch- or marriage, or so, just everything. A child doing something wrong. What, what, what's our normal reaction? idiot. We call him a maka. Why did you do that? I told you not to, right? What we should be doing is to make him feel special, make him wise. You know, you're a smart kid. Yeah, you can do it. You could do it, right? Support him. Give him the respect as opposed to what a, what natural reaction would be, which is to diminish his value and respect. One of the worst things by the way, and this happens to us is if let 's say my kids on did something that 's not appropriate and they 're on the phone, my kid does something wrong, and then they 're on the phone with their friend. My rule is if they 're with their friends, I do not embarrass them, and that means i don 't tell them off at all. If I find out that she 's on the phone with a friend or speaking to a friend or their friend. Nothing. I do not embarrass them, even if they did something really bad that really bothered me. I because for me, if I destroy my child's respect, dignity, I've destroyed my child. My child's gonna. There's nothing. Then they won't respect me. Everything falls apart. You have to also understand that when I'm talking about that, a person needs dignity. I do not intend to say that you need to chase after respect. Actually, it says that somebody who runs after respect, respect runs away from you. So if you try and get people to respect you, you know you want honor people to look at you, to like you, like some Facebook, right? You want all that? Actually, the opposite goes. It goes that direction. That's what it says. And it says if you run away from honor and respect, then people run after you. You do good, and then you don't say anything about it. Everyone says, I want to be friends with this guy. So people keep running after you. The interesting question is, if you run away from respect, right? If you run away from respect, let's say you're running this way, and you don't want to be respected, so you run away from it. You run away from it, and people are going to run after you. Or you run to it, then people run away from you. Both of them are going to be the same distance, whether you're running away from respect and people are running after you to try and get it, they didn't get you yet. And if you're running to respect, people are going to run away from it as well. So either way, whether you're running to get respected and then people are running away from you or you're running to be respected, uh, sorry, if you're running away from being respected, you said, I don't want respect, run away from it. You do good, but you don't want any honor and, sh- and, and respect for doing it. Then people, either way, the distance is the same right? Whether you're running away from and people are running after it, or you're running to it, and you're running to it, and people are running away from you, the distance is the same. So One rabbi was asked this question, whether you run away from respect and people are running after you, or whether you run towards it and people are running away from you, the distance is either way the same. So what's the difference? Yeah, but you get old. And as you get old, if you're running away, You slow down and then they catch up to you and they start, the respect really comes in the righteous way, in the good way. But when you get old, after trying your whole life to earn respect from people, you slow down and people also, so you're chasing after people for respect and they're running away from your respect. And as you get old, you can't run for it after it so much anymore. So they just keep running further and further away and the distance grows more and more. This is, the, this is the idea, okay? If you honor somebody else, you will gain respect yourself. This is what our rabbi says. Somebody who honors, who gives respect to others without demanding it is the person that will get respect at the end of the day. Let me give you an example, okay? Let's say a person who has a position. A governor. Okay, hey, I don't want to get political, so I'm just gonna say a governor. A governor of a of a, of a state. He gets elected, he comes the governor of the state. Four years later, five years later, two years later, he gets pulled out. So as soon as he gets elected, all of a sudden, social security gets you know, he's he's protected everywhere he goes, safety, everyone's running after him, constantly people are interviewing him it's a lot of respect two four years later when he's finished his job not anymore a governor what happens to that person huh what happens to that person they move on all of a sudden all the respect that they had kind of falls out the window why because they weren't respecting that person they were, they were actually respecting that person's position not necessarily sometimes sometimes they are respected because' a good person, but not necessarily they're respecting the person they're respecting his position. you hear what's going on? So what we what we want is to run to give respect whether it's to anything, whether it's animals, any creation. Run towards giving it respect because that way you will be the one that is respected. This Rabbi Grossman that I was talking about at the beginning, this big Rabbi in Israel who has 6,000 orphans under his name, there's a story of him who's a very, he's now a very big Rabbi in Israel, very prominent Rabbi. There's a story of him, a picture of him that went wild on social media on a highway. He stopped his car on the side of the highway to help somebody else fix his car. Somebody else was on the side and he was stuck. And you see this old man, Rabbi Grossman, who is a very prominent rabbi stopping on the side of the highway to help this, no connection to these people. But he stopped on the side to help them. That's called called greatness. He's a person that's honored. He's got thousands of people that listen to him every week. Very respectful man. And yet he said, this job's not too big for me. This person's in need. I'm going to help them. Can you imagine Can you imagine a president seeing your car broken down on the side road and he's coming out of his car and he's coming to help you? That's not going to happen. But that really is the person that deserves respect, is the one that has respect for others, no matter his position. By the way, one of the things that you'll notice in people that have been abused, in psychology, one of the things that they speak about the most is dignity. It's the dignity of that person that's been removed from them. And it's so important. So anyway, this is this is Jacob here. This is the story of Jacob. What did he do? He comes to the person that's trying to kill him. For 36 years, he suffered. And what language does he use? He uses a language of gifts, of love, of softness, just like the stalk, as opposed as opposed to the See this tree, which doesn't move. He was the one that moves. He's flexible and he was able to fold and say, okay, fine, I'll, I'll respect you. Even though you weren't respectful to me, I'll respect you. So there's one more thing I want to tell you before I finish and we can move on and then you can we can finish off. So there's three things our rabbis say that Jacob did in before he met. In order to meet this brother Esav, he was in a face. He was facing a challenge, facing a situation where he might be killed, and he didn't know what to do. Our rabbis teach us that he did three things. What did he do? He sent gifts to appease his brother. He prayed, and he prepared for war. He sent gifts. He sent him. He was very wealthy. Jacob had a lot of cattle, camels donkeys, sheep, cows, everything you can imagine. Send them all to him. That was a lot of gifts. That's an important aspect also in terms of making shalom, whether it's with the, in, we'll talk about this in a second, but within yourself, making shalom with yourself or with others. One of the first things you do is you bribe your way in, you buy gifts. That's what he did. Then he prayed. Pray means that you reflect. It's true that you've got to put your effort into things, but when things are outside of your control, one of the things you do is you pray. Now that is the best prayer ever. When you have put in all your effort, Judaism does not believe don't put any effort in to success. Put in all your effort, put in as much as you can, give as much, right? Doron is gift, so do as much as you can physically for your success, but then Pray. Because without prayer, the success might not come. You need both. You need that moment where you can self-reflect, go into a a place and really deeply think what you really need and, and make it a prayer to Hashem, to God. That transforms the energy. There are energies in the world and if you are able to connect People don't believe in it because they don't try it. One of the things that he says in Judaism is "ta'amu kitov Hashem," taste and you'll see that God is good. Taste and you'll see that God is. Sometimes you say, you know, I don't know about Shabbat. Maybe I'll do Shabbat. I'll do it for an hour. I'll do it for two hours. I'll do it for three hours. Maybe I don't know, but it sounds lit. it sounds stupid. Just taste it. It's like somebody who's talking to you about a cake and he's like, you know, I've got the best cake. It's, it's amazing. Really? Yeah, it's amazing. That's what it means. Proof is in the pudding. It's the best pudding. You've got to try it. Really? Okay. I'm sure it's good. No, 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 no. You have to know it's the best pudding. Okay, eventually at some point you're going to say, okay, fine. Can I just taste that pudding? You're going on about how good it is. Can I taste the pudding? That's what proof in the pudding means. Sometimes in Judaism, in order to see that prayer really works. Both for you. For, by the way, prayer is not for God. As we've spoken about many times. It's not for God. It's for ourselves to self-reflect on what we really need. God is listening and he's always answering my prayer. But it's for me to change myself. Through the prayer, I focus on the situation that I'm in. And it causes me to elevate myself to a new place where I can now receive the good that I need. That's what the concept of prayer. So he also did prayer. And then he also prepared for war. What does it mean to prepare for war? He split his family into different parts. He said, listen, if he's going to come and kill me, then the other section of my family can run away. So he split his family into three different parts. So in different camps. And as soon as one camp gets hurt, The other camps can run away. That's called to preparing for war. So he prepared for all situations, both physically and spiritually. In Judaism, we believe your success, yes, comes from putting in effort, but it also comes from putting in your soul. It comes from praying. It comes from self-reflecting, of thinking about things that I can't take control of. There's things you can take control of, you have to. No one says that you should sit in a place where there's a flood and say, okay, I'm going to be saved. Everything's going to be fine. I'll be fine. No, you've got to make your effort to get out of there. Outside of that, you also need to pray. So there's those two aspects of life which are really important. Now, a lot of times people say, well, your prayers don't work. I say, have you ever prayed? You know, people say prayers don't work. It's often coming from the people that don't pray. (laughs) Try it! One of the things is taste the pudding and you'll see that sometimes it actually works. So these are the three aspects he used in order to fight Asaph. Now Asaph doesn't just represent some bad dude, it also represents the evil inclination. That's why, by the way, the name of Jacob was given also. Later on we're going to we in the story we're told that he has a battle with the angel of Asaph that's the evil inclination the evil inclination the way that we fight ourselves you're lazy one morning you don't want to gr- do anything you want to sleep in you don't want to you just want to eat how do you fight your evil inclination that's asaph as well that's by the way the name of Israel the Jewish people are called Israel which has two meanings god says it's because you fought for god and you fight for humanity im you fight for god and humanity what does it mean you fight with god fighting with god means you keep pushing you don't give up consistency it's one of the powers of the jewish people is that we are consistent consistency consistency it's not like oh i'm going to be successful today and i'm going to give up no if it fails today i'm going to get up again tomorrow It says, seven times will a righteous person fall and get up. You get up, you get up and you get up, you fall. Okay, let's keep going. There's no end to how many times that's part of the name of Yisrael, the Jewish name of of the Jewish people is to fight for God. What does that mean? We don't give up and we don't give up on humanity either. We fight for humanity also. So he was given this name to fight with Israel. Because he was the one that starts the Jewish people. Jacob's the one, the forefather, that starts the Jewish people. And he fights Esav. Who's Esav? It's also the evil inclination that we all fight. And he fought it in three ways. Prayer, gifts, and war. How do you give gifts to your evil inclination? You want to sleep in. How do you give gifts? Right, Your evil inclination says, Just in many ways, it says, Be indulged with the now, the instant gratification. And forget about later on. Forget about other things. Forget about growth. Forget about success. Forget about everything. Think about the now. That's how the evil inclination works. So it says eat unhealthy food. It says do things which are against what Judaism stands for. That's what the evil inclination constantly pushes you to do. How do you fight that? One of the ways is to give it a gift. What does that mean? The way you give a gift to the evil incarnation is you speak to it. This sounds crazy, but you speak to it and you say, listen, twenty-four hour- 22 hours I've been eating and sleeping. 22 hours eating and sleeping. Can I not just give some time for myself, for my own growth? Two hours, one hour for Hashem? One hour to study a bit of Torah? Just one hour. That lazy Yitzhara has to be quiet because you gave it a gift. Another way is to feed yourself well on Shabbat, right? Prepare yourself for a good meal. Make Shabbat special. Oh, Shabbat is special. You feed yourself well, then you'll like Shabbat more. So you use the physicality, give the evil inclination a gift, which means channel it for the good, feed it. Do you realize how much time we spend sleeping? This This is the answer to laziness. Here's the gift to laziness, right? How do you answer laziness? I want to sleep in. I want to smoke pot. I want to waste my time. right? How do you answer laziness? Do you know what you do? This is how you do it. You speak to it. You say, listen. In my life, I have 70, 80 years to live. Around. Above 70. Not everyone makes it, but 70 is normal. Above 70 is a bonus. 80 is nice. 90 is like psh, 100. By the time you're 110, you're like, I don't even know if I want to be here anymore. So... 70 is right the, the prime age till 70 During that time how many hours am I sleeping? How many years do I really have if you take a day I sleep about eight hours a night I don't but most people should sleep between six and eight hours that's what my says if you want to be healthy between six and eight hours at night you sleep six hours a night eight hours a night that's literally a third of a day literally it's a third of your day so you take from 70 reduce it by a third because you're sleeping during that time granted you need to sleep it's not a bad thing but just talk to your laziness look look how much time i went wa- then you've spent during a day how much time go on your phone check how much screen time you've had on your phone in a day It's scary don't do it but how much screen time do you have on your phone Take that out. I'm telling you, between the phone, the TV, the laptop, the screen, okay, now now it's fine, right? Because we're talking good things. But in general, how much of the time that we use is really for myself? Then comes the eating time. So it's preparing food and then eating food. So you talk to laziness, you say, listen, I've slept. I, I don't have that long in my life. A third of my life is going to you. I need to give some time, a little bit of time, to my real self, to my core. That's the language we should. That's called giving a gift to the to the body, to the to the evil inclination. The other parts make sense. Tefillah, prayer. One of the ways we pray is to have. Please, God, make me. Pray. Go, with anyone? You you're great. you've got a gift, by the way. People tell me I don't know. I don't know how to pray. Simple gift. Just search silent prayer on Safaria, right? Safaria is a great website, by the way. Silent prayer. Read the silent prayer. It's the most beautiful gift. It's the, it, the most amazing words. You you ask at first. You ask for a mind. You say, "Listen, I want to have a normal mind. I need to have a normal brain. Sometimes having a brain." could be good but then i'm socially insane so uh, that's not going to help and binavada. the words are fantastic i need wisdom understanding and it's good intuition and i need wisdom then the next prayer that you have is so the first is wisdom then the next prayer is to coming back to torah which means to coming a better person closer to god the next prayer it, to be forgiven so forgive myself and to be forgiven from all that i've done in the past let's move on you go through the prayer to have peace in the world. That's one of the prayers. That there shouldn't be evil. Evil should stop. That's one of the prayers. It, it's amazing. You go through it all and you cover like a perfect world. So, what are the ways to deal with our evil condition is prayer? And the last way is milchama, is battle. And that's the last thing you do, which is you fight it. That's the that's the last thing. How do you fight it? Get out of bed, right? You jump out, you just, no messing around. I'm not going to let this thing get in my way. You fight it, right? If you start feeling depressed, hurting yourself, there's people that hurt themselves, especially during this time. Get your shorts on. Put that t-shirt on and jog. Just get out, right? Put, put that music in your ears and go. And then come back. But don't just listen to stupid music, right? Make it meaningful. And then listen to a meaningful podcast, and, and you know, fill your time with something valuable. That's how you fight the Yetzirah. Fighting the Yetzirah is also over... You have to know, by the way, this is the last thing I'll tell you. Somebody who overcomes their evil inclination and their inclination in general as a whole thinks that they're losing out. You're not losing out. You actually win. You're the winner when you overcome. People think, okay, if I start making boundaries in my life, thinking about where how I should be or not be, thinking about, you know, how I should date, how I should speak, how I should, because that's what Judaism is. It's a code, a system which directs me into being a better person. Someone might say, wait, if I come, if I learn all this stuff, which by the way is is wisdom, if I learn all this stuff, I'm not going to enjoy life as much. It's the opposite. The boundaries will actually free you and give you a real definition of life, both in this world and in the world to come. That's what it says. Happy are you in this world, and good for you are you in the next world. Somebody who's just free. Eats when he wants, has no boundaries. Eats when he wants, sleeps till he wants. Talks whatever he wants. Doesn't hold himself to a better moral value. Eventually, at some point, it's, it's going to hurt him. It's like somebody who eats all day without any boundaries. He's going to p- start putting on weight. You'll feel bad eventually. Now it tastes good. But at some point it's going to hurt you. You might tell me, well, I'm free. Because I'm not thinking about what I'm eating, what I'm not f- eating. I just eat whenever I want. Yeah, you're free. But you're not free from your desires. You're actually enslaved to your desires. Yeah, you're free but then you're not free from the result of what you're doing. It's true, you're free to do whatever you want, but you're not, re- you're not free from the results of what this is going to produce. We're, f- we're all free to do whatever we want, but we're not free from the results of the actions that we do, that we're not free from. And Judaism is about thinking ahead of the result, not of the action in itself okay, right now I want to eat this cake. But the real way is to think about your body and the health of the body. Holding back is thinking about the result of eating from the cake. And that is where freedom really is at, in the future, not in the present. So we spoke about a lot of things, but the main main topic of tonight was dealing with difficulty, difficult people and the answer to it is dignity is respect one of the most powerful ways to get somebody to listen to actually be part of you is to give them dignity this is so important in terms of marriage, dating in dating there's no way you should say things that are inappropriate which don't dignify the person I personally believe you can joke but not on the expense of somebody else. Judaism has always been into comedy. We're very into comedy but not on the expense of somebody else. Now now the comedy's hard, right? That's a difficult comedy. It's much easier to make a joke about somebody put somebody who's heavily overweight on the screen and make a joke about him. This is literally what people are doing on TV these days whether it's a politician or somebody else put him in the back of the screen and make a whole comedy about him. It's easy to make comedy on the expense of somebody else. But that's not respectful. And that's not going to earn you the respect. It might get you people laughing at you and enjoying you right now, but that's not going to earn you the honor that we're thinking about, which is a food for the soul, by the way. Honor is food for the soul. So that is the general uh, idea that we spoke about. Respect, respect, respect. It's part of the neshama. It's a need of the soul. And it's that which will bring you closer to those that even are going against you and get them to follow in your path. One of the ways, and it's also um, a beautiful thing we said it is uh, when he fought against Esav, he fought against him in three ways. Gifts, prayer, and war, and that's the way that we need to fight our own evil inclinations as well.